1: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Here we go. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and you. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open to you 601-879-4395 again 601-879-4395. At Cspire, they're always asking the big questions like why wait for the next device to get the device you want. Right now you can get any iPhone, $100 off at your local Cspire store and online at cspire.com. We have a big Friday afternoon coming up with you. If everything works as planned, we're going to visit with Mike Leach in just the next couple of minutes, head football coach at Mississippi State. Bulldogs are now eight days away from the season opener when they will travel to LSU to face the Tigers in Baton Rouge next Saturday afternoon. We have a full high school football preview coming up for you with Will East and Stephen Gagliano uh, in, uh, well, a little bit later this afternoon. Bruce Marshall will visit with us for the very first time this year from the gold sheet out in Vegas. We'll talk about all the games that are happening in both college and the NFL. Luke Johnson will join us all this on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out ratescom and go with the home team, at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Uh, Luke, of course, will be with us to preview. Uh, Louisiana Tech in Hattiesburg to take on Southern Mississippi. So, hey, Dad, plenty to get to this afternoon. And one week from today, we will be on the eve of college football for the Southeastern Conference.
1: Won't be any turning back at that point. We'll have, we will have we will be locked in and ready to roll uh, with some college football. Predictions will be made, things will, will be said, and you won't be able to take them back at that point.
2: Unless you do. Right, you always you say you do. can you can change Unless them once
1: you get new information. Once you get if that, you get you new know. information, right?
2: There is a big college football thing that has happened today: Houston and Baylor. You remember the game that was put together in 18 hours after uh, Houston's game with Memphis was postponed because of COVID-related issues. Baylor had their season opener against Louisiana Tech last week, postponed because of COVID-related issues, and so Houston and Baylor decided that they would play each other and then it didn't happen. The news earlier today, uh, Baylor did not meet the Big 12 COVID-19 thresholds for playing, and uh, one of Baylor's position groups did not meet the threshold for competition, and so the schools have agreed to honor their home and home agreement and monitor dates for future scheduling opportunities. There is a picture uh, that Dana Holgerson tweeted of the University of Houston Cougars Athletics 18-wheeler, the semi-truck parked outside of McLean Stadium, and he says, we were ready, and we will stay ready, hashtag go Cougs. And then he used the hashtag and the percentage sign and the at sign and the dollar sign and the ampersand and another dollar sign, um, the the expletive whatever, just to show his frustration. That's a bummer. That was going to be a fun game this weekend.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and, and to, to lose it because of contact tracing and not uh, actual
3: positive cases, that's a little frustrating. Which makes yeah. that rule so mystifying. And then um, I've seen a lot of people uh, spin it as, well, the Big Ten's rapid response testing is going to prevent this. What are you talking about? It Do you think that the rapid response test is going to eliminate positives? I don't get it. It, This is just the reality of college football this season. This is going to happen. This is why the SEC gave uh, multiple weeks to make up games if need be. That's why you gave yourself enough time, and the Big Ten did not. They're not smarter for doing this, and the rapid response test is not going to prevent positives in close contact with those people that are positive. It doesn't make any sense. What are you even talking about?
2: I think it's just the daily testing, right? I mean, that, that you're going to, it's not going to be a Sunday, Wednesday, Friday testing deal where, I mean, I get, uh, my, my assumption is these are the results from the Wednesday tests and then the uh, associated contact tracing. You know, maybe you would have known a day sooner. Uh, I don't know. I, that, I, I you certainly know, get that what you're saying. Difference. No, it, it doesn't. I, I get what you're saying. But it's, you know, spin, baby, spin because that's what uh, a lot of people are doing. Uh, as we've talked about, because of whatever agenda they have one way or the other. So you've got Houston-Baylor postponed this weekend. FAU-Georgia-Southern, that was announced as well. They are postponing because of positive tests. Um, Charlotte and their game against the University of North Carolina has uh, has been postponed as well. So three or four games this weekend that uh, have gotten postponed. Uh, obviously, that's going to be part of this season. It's what we're going to have to deal with. And I, I just hope... And, and I think this is going to be the case. I, I, I've said this a bunch of times. I think you guys agree. This is why Major League Baseball, going through what it went through, and I know Rob Manfred has taken a lot of shots, and, and deservedly so. A lot of arrows have been flung his way throughout the course of the season for lack of leadership or, or whatever else. But... Major League Baseball, when they had the outbreak with the Marlins, when you had the outbreak with the Cardinals, when I think the Mets had a little bit of a deal along the way, they kept plugging. They, they did not throw in the towel, and there were a bunch of people with the Marlins and the Cardinals that wanted to say, see, we told you, just shut it down. These teams need to be done. I was looking yesterday at the standings, not to see who was in first place, but I was doing a count on number of games. Remember, they're trying to play 60. Well, Tampa Bay's played 55. The Yankees have played. I'm sorry, that's not right. Tampa Bay's played 51. The Yankees have played 50. The Blue Jays have played 49. The Orioles have played 51. The Red Sox have played 51. Okay, that's just American League East. You go over to the National League Central, where you've got the Cardinals residing. The Cardinals at this point have played 46 games. They may not get to 60, but they're going to be pretty darn close. The Cubs have played 50, the Reds have played 51. The Brewers have played 49. They missed a few. And this doesn't even take into account some of the games that got pushed back because of protests, and you got Pittsburgh sitting there having played 49. Most everybody is in the same general ballpark in terms of number of games played in in the big leagues, and it's because they were willing to just keep plugging. They knew it was going to be weird, but they didn't throw in the towel. They didn't give up. And I think that was an important model and an example for college football and for the NFL that it's going to be bumpy there're going to be some twists and turns some rise and falls it may be a roller coaster ride but if you just keep plugging you can get through it does that make sense
1: it, yeah it's sort of like a little engine that could right you just just i think i can i think i can get over the hill get it done and 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 you find a way you know win- winners will find a way to win losers will find a way to quit And that's what, you know, that's sort of where we are right this second. Everybody's going to continue to try to find their way.
3: It's the most measured and reasonable response to this situation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It really, uh, really is. Um, When you look at what we've got next week, when we roll into week one, we know Ole Miss and Florida will kick off at 11. And you hope that uh, the Florida football team is doing better than the Florida volleyball team. And the Florida volleyball team, I think it was, had an outbreak. There was contact tracing, and that caused the Florida soccer team to have to cancel its season opening match that was supposed to happen tomorrow. So instead of uh, seven matches in soccer in the SEC, you're going to have six on the opening weekend. Um, so, so you hope that that's not something that rubs off on Florida football. But you got Ole Miss in Florida. You got Mississippi State and LSU. You've got Kentucky and Auburn. Hey, Dad, it's going to be a fun weekend if we're able to get there.
1: Yeah, just got to get there. Just got to. You know, this is <laughs> like that. Uh, that last minute before you you, know, you dive off the board, right? You know, you, you're 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 tensed, you're ready to go, and and then there's that moment of trepidation: Am I actually going to do this right now? If well, I was that a, a diving
2: coach, example you just used? Yeah, why not? You got a lot of experience in high board diving. diving? I,
1: I've I've jumped off of them, but not dove, not high board
2: either. Uh,
1: but uh, you never run off a high dive before? I have once, like when I was a kid, but I haven't done it recently.
2: I think your splash would be epic. Oh,
1: it would be something to behold. You know, it'd be one of those those uh you know massive cannonballs that you know all the moms who are just sitting on the side of the pool just trying to read and get sun would not be happy with me.
2: Yeah, you you get to the side, you like jump off the end of the board, you're gonna be like cannonball
4: exactly. splash.
2: Exactly. That's why I'm gonna give a warning sign. Like hey, everybody, be ready. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what's the game outside of Mississippi State, LSU next Saturday that you're most excited about involving SEC teams?
1: It's here in the same. It's in the state of Mississippi. It's Ole Miss, Florida. Okay. I I, I want to see what Lane Kiffin's Rebels look like. I want to see what Dan Mullins' Gators look like. Now that they see they seem to be the presumed favorite in the East, and I, yeah, I mean that's the first game. Why not get excited for it?
2: Well, we certainly have got a bunch of games. Uh, in addition to those, Mississippi State in Baton Rouge to take on LSU eight days from today. Mike Leach is the head coach at Mississippi State. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line, Coach. No, you got a bunch going on. Appreciate you giving us a, a few minutes of time. Uh, this afternoon you've been a part of a bunch of football seasons you seem like generally speaking you're fairly even keeled what's your level of excitement at at this point for a season that has been fraught with peril and getting ready for it now being just eight days away
5: well i think we're all excited and thrilled that we get to play because you know that's something they almost took away from us and uh and thank goodness they didn't and uh of course, everybody wants to be safe, but uh, that's a big part of uh, of our country and the fans and the players involved uh, to have the privilege of playing. And so, you know, I think that that is uh, – uh, uh, I think we're all excited about that. And, and the other thing is what you, you realize you miss a little bit is how excited it is to be together, um, just to be with one another, doing stuff at the same time. So we're excited about the season, and then, but we need to steadily improve. We need to get better every day, and we need to, um, <clears throat> you know, the biggest thing is is keep kind of discovering what our threshold is and what we are able to do, and and keep pushing that.
2: What you do offensively is well known, and and there hasn't been a ton of wiggle room about the way you've gone about things offensively. You certainly evolved some through the years, but given the preparation, and the lead-up, and the disjointed nature of this offseason, is it going to look like it always has, or are you going to have to do some things differently than maybe you've done in the past?
5: I think it will. You know, the spring sure would have been handy. I think, uh, and I think this applies to a lot of teams, I think maybe a little simpler uh, in a number of phases. I think that, you know, what you can execute is what you can run. I mean, um, you know, coaches uh, Coaches sometimes uh, like to draw all kinds of stuff on the board, and I'm certainly guilty of it, drawing all this up, that up, and, hey, we'll just have them do this. Oh, that's just one thing. That'll be easy. And then so pretty soon after uh, one more easy, you know, like uh, 31 more easy things, then nothing's easy, <laughs> you know. And so um, I think it's really important that uh, we have the discipline to, kind of shave this thing down um, to where it's manageable and to where um, our players can really uh, take a hold of it and go full speed without any hesitation. And, uh, you know, and then then you have the chance to put your best foot forward. And then, of course, effort's all wrapped up into that. And if you have great effort, then uh, you can uh, be the best you can be. If you're the best you can be, um, you'll be better than the guys that you're better than anyway. And you'll have a chance to take down some of them that may be more talented than you. Uh, if they aren't firing on all on all cylinders, and you are. And so, I mean, you know, your best is all you got. And you try to get it every time, and then then you you can uh, change <coughs> change the ceiling on your abilities and keep pushing it upward.
1: Hey, Coach. Brian. Hey, Dad. You know, we talked to you last night, and you talked about your team having confidence. You, you, The success breeds confidence. Confidence breeds success. As the head coach, what can you do to instill confidence in your team?
5: You know, we talked to our team about body language and how they carry themselves and how they respond to adversity and how they respond to something good happening. And I think that's where it starts. I mean, it's... Um, None of us are perfect on that, but uh, if I walk past you and you have great body language and you're confident, then you know it helps me, and then maybe I help the next guy. And so, you know, you try to do what you can to make it contagious, um, and uh, you know, and then and, and just to, you know, and it all starts with being really excited to play, you know, and then and then if you can get everybody playing hard, then you'll discover somebody can you know, do something today they couldn't yesterday, and then that raises the excitement level, too.
1: When you think about K.J. Costello, obviously you, you coached against him at Washington State when he was at Stanford. Now you've had the chance to work with him this past month and a half. Has, has it been about what you expected with him, bringing him in? Has he been able to deliver on all the things you hoped he would?
5: You know, he's a lot like what I expected. I had a pretty good look at him. We played against him twice. Uh... And then I remembered him from high school. He went to high school um, and just this kind of a, uh, sort of a nuance of, uh, of the deal, uh, you know, Santa Margarita high school's a high school down there in Southern California. And, um, and as uh, luck would have it, we had about s- uh, seven or eight of those guys at Washington state over a period of time. Some were walking on, but a bunch of scholarship guys and, and uh you know, several were scholarship guys that, you know uh fans may have heard of. As a matter of fact, River we Craigcraft's with the uh uh the forty Nineers right now and then uh, uh Riley Sorensen, he was our starting center and on several of those really good teams we had up there and and uh you know, Nick Begg I think had as big impact on our program as anybody. But anyway, all those guys oh Kyle Sweet's another one. Uh, But all those guys uh, played with KJ. So it's kind of like KJ knew a lot about us, and we knew a lot about KJ, and uh, kind of vicariously. And so, yeah, he has been pretty much what I expected. He's a big, strong guy, uh, uh, throws very accurately, uh, smart. Um, Does a pretty good job playing with quick tempo. I'd say maybe better than I expected.
2: So... Mike Leach visiting with the Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon, Coach. I was intrigued by the uh, the announcement you made that Garrett Schrader was making uh, the, the move to uh, to receiver, and I guess primarily in the slot. He's such a big guy; he's got great ability in the open field. We've seen that in the past with him running. Can he catch? And and what's the transition going to be like for him from from quarterback to a receiver?
5: Well, he seems excited about the new challenge, and he's really athletic, and he's tough. So I'm kind of curious myself. I'm kind of excited about this whole thing as well, you know, just to see what Garrett can do.
2: What was his reaction, and what was that conversation like where you guys talked about a position move to kind of maybe try and get him on the field into a spot that he could help the team?
5: Well, he's a really talented guy, and he knows he's a real talented guy. And then as far as picking up the offense... You know, I had him a little behind, and um, and uh, I think he agreed with that. Um, but you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, other guys it was a little more automatic for him, and and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, the thing to be a <clears throat> to be a quarterback, you really kind of have to be a film junkie, you know. And uh, and I don't know hardly any good quarterbacks that aren't. I mean, they're sitting in front of that projector all the time to the point where their family and friends are telling them, Hey, it's, it's it's time to shut that off. You know, (laughs) um, you know, kind of almost, uh, you know, the only way to solve a problem is to admit you have one and you have a serious problem. So,
3: um, (laughs) uh, yeah, yeah,
5: I do. I have a love hate relationship with film. I do watch quite a lot of film. Um, um, I can't say I always like it, but you have to be good at it and you have to do it a lot. If you're going to have a good team and then, um, but, you know, I mean, you, you get fulfilled by seeing uh, really good execution. You get fulfilled by, uh, seeing guys improve. Like I say, doing something that they couldn't do the day before. And, um, you know, and I think he's uh, more of a, a tangible on the field. Give me the ball kind of guy, which, uh, so from that standpoint, um, uh, you know, receiver fits him a little better. The other thing that's kind of exciting about him, if we get him all tuned in, he's the kind of guy you can move around inside receiver, outside receiver. We've got to get him in shape because uh, he's a naturally really fast guy. But, uh, you know, we've got to keep him fast for four quarters. And uh, But he's a fun guy to coach.
2: Um, you know, he's always in kind of a mellow mood, you know. Kind of a switching gears just for a second. You, you, because of all the different places you've been, sometimes from a recruiting standpoint, it feels like certain coaches will get locked into parts of the country that they're, you're fami- they are familiar with. But, but you've been at Kentucky and Oklahoma, and you've coached in Texas, and you've coached in the Pacific Northwest, and now back in the SEC. Is that an advantage to you, and does it change maybe your philosophy uh, from a recruiting standpoint in comparison to w- the way that, that some others would approach it?
5: Uh. I think it helps as far as adjustment to different situations. I think it helps as far as adjustment. I think that, um, uh, recruiting, I've never bought into this stuff. And, um, and it's a fact. I mean, sometimes it hurts, uh, you know, different locales feelings. I mean, you know, uh, you have to be from Texas to recruit in Texas. So no, you don't, I would have been, out of business if you had to be, you know, you have hmm. to be from the South to recruit the South. No, you don't. Uh, you know, these LA kids aren't going to talk to anybody who's not from, uh, Southern California. Yes, they are. Um, <clears throat> you know, recruiting persistence, you know, everybody thinks of a great recruiter or some, uh, charismatic car salesman kind of guy, you know, and I haven't found that to be the case. Um, I've found that, uh, the best recruiters are, uh, are persistent people. I mean, persistent. I mean, I can think of some guys who are great re- recruiters. They strike fear in me if they're on the, guy, the same guy we are. I mean, <clears throat> kind of a dull, bland personality in some cases. I mean, they're all over. First of all, they're all over the map. You can't pinpoint them. Uh, some have dull, boring personality. Uh, some are smart. Some are dumb. Some are flashy, some aren't. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that they do, the good ones have in common, they are persistent. Number one, persistence. Number two, be a good phone guy. Because I think the phone is way underrated. Be a good phone guy. And, um, and, uh, so I think they come in all different shapes and sizes. I think persistence is the key. Um, you know, and I didn't deliberately, um <clears throat> try to live all over the country, although I'd like that I have. I mean because 'cause I'm a very curious person and so you have an opportunity to see the lay of the land all over and you discover that uh you know both things. Yes our country's very different, but also uh uh we all have way more in common than we think. But uh I was adding it up the other day, all the places I lived and it's a it's a long list. I mean it, uh yeah, oh, man, I think it's over twenty. Well, I think it maybe. Let's see. Um, let's see. Not counting. Not counting <clears throat> when we moved within the same town because my dad did like to. <laughs> Here's a house. Let's flip it. Let's get this house, fix it up, and let's get that one. So in the same town, we might have three houses. So your dad and I would get along. Oh, he loves that. He loves that stuff. And then he always says. Um, <clears throat> I'll never build a house again, you know, from scratch. And he did it like three times and swore he'd never do it again. And uh, I followed that advice of never do it again. And then, um, but I was, let's see, I was born in Susanville, California, then Fall River Mills, California, then Alexandria, Virginia, then Saratoga, Wyoming, then Fort Collins, Colorado, then Golden, Colorado, then Sheridan, Wyoming, then Cody, Wyoming, then uh, Provo, Utah, then uh, Los Angeles, California, then, uh, let's see, from Los Angeles, then Daphne, Alabama, then uh, San Luis Obispo, California, then... Palm Desert, California, (laughs) then Pori, Finland, then um, Mount Pleasant, Iowa, then Valdosta, Georgia, then uh, Lexington, Kentucky, then Norman, Oklahoma, then Lubbock, Texas, then Key West, Florida, then um, Pullman, Washington. Uh, and then uh, Starkville, Mississippi. So, and I might have left a place or two out if I just spaced it. So,
2: we're we're not going to hold it against you if uh, if you have left a place or two out. It's a remarkable journey, and I know Mississippi State fans are excited about uh, that journey beginning in earnest in eight days, Coach. The, the time is always too short. We appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this afternoon, and. Certainly look forward to uh, talking to you soon. and Wish you the best throughout the season.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me on, and I really appreciate
2: it. We'll talk to you soon. That's thank Mike coach. Leach, head football coach at uh, Mississippi State. If you need to uh, know how to uh, run the air raid, he can help you with that. And if you need a geography lesson, you got it. it you, you've got it from, from Cody, Wyoming, to Key West, to Finland, to Starkville, and all points in between. Mike Leach. The incomparable one. Sports Talk Mississippi. Fun way to get started with you on this Friday afternoon. We'll take a timeout and be right back. back. little fight song Friday with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Fun conversation with Mike Leach, the head football coach at Mississippi State, to start things off couple of responses on the C Spire text line to that conversation. Eric in Batesville says, sounds like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. (laughs) Someone should make that into a remix from uh, Mike Leach. Uh, Got another one that said, got to love Mike Leach. Jeff says, love this dude. James in Hattiesburg says, uh, best of. Make it happen, Borky. Some recruiters are just
3: dumb. That and then Rebecca had a good one that I want to put in one of our show promos right before the end of her show today. She what did like, she say? You know that big game last week, the one you know the the two quarterbacks that people know, Tom something. I don't know those guys. <laughs> Steve on
2: uh, Steve on Twitter uh, sends me a message says when Leach started naming towns, I began thinking about Bubba Gump with all the different kinds of shrimp, <laughs> <laughs> shrimp salad, shrimp gumbo. <laughs> Trump <laughs> po' boy, oh God, and so on. So, from uh, college action, which is happening this weekend, but will happen in earnest next weekend when the SEC begins, to the high school gridiron. You know by now that uh, when we get finished on Sports Talk Mississippi at six o'clock, you will have the high school football preview show. And then tonight, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to give you the times. Actually, I will. 10 until 11.30, the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's scoreboard show. Willie, Stephen Gagliano, uh, join us right now.
4: Boys, what's up? You nailed it on the time there, Richard, uh, at 10 o'clock. Thank you. And uh, I just want to start out by saying... I've lived in Cleveland, then I moved to Atlanta, <laughs> I lived in New York for a summer, now I live in Mississippi. So there's my recap of where I've lived, if that's, the, if that's what you have to do on today's show.
3: Yeah, Gags list. is a
4: Browns fan, God bless him. <laughs> Big win last yep. night. Got a you know dub went? last night. Huge. Just do the work you... early and then get Baker Mayfield out of the way for the rest of the game. <laughs> Give it to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That's the game plan.
1: Did yeah, you guys that, like the tweet uh, I did today? That's all I want to know. I just want to know that I got approval on that. Wait, what did I miss?
4: Oh, I tweeted they were going to be on the show. Oh, okay. Uh, I did see that. I was very excited about that promo. Thank right. you. Good, good, good. Check go. the mail. Uh, Will
2: East, there are a bunch of high school teams looking for a dub tonight. Uh, is there anything from last week that we just have to address before we start looking at these games for uh, for tonight? Yes, Choctaw County. Okay.
0: <laughs> Tell me uh, more. You know... I've been following high school football for about 12 years now uh, as part of a job. And there's, every now and again you see these numbers that pop out. You know, might have a running back that goes for this crazy number or something like that. And I've actually seen statisticians or the PA, and whoever's keeping up with the numbers, they screw up and they might have two kids with the same last name and they, they or a similar number or something and they mess it up. And I thought that's what happened with Choctaw County last Friday night. They were playing East Webster and Quez McNeil... He's a receiver and a defensive back. He had three receptions for over 100 yards and three touchdowns. Pretty good night! But he also plays defensive back. And in that game, he had one, two, three, four interceptions. Ooh. And two of them were returned for touchdowns. Now... Yeah. We had a lot of games last week. We had some big ones. But to me, that was like the thing that stood out when I saw that kid did all that. It's pretty amazing. But anyway, uh, yeah, so... This week is kind of the weird week of the year. This is always the strange one because it's the week before regional play for most high school teams, and you have a lot of bye weeks out there. You have a lot of unusual matchups, but kind of the thing this year has been all these 6A versus 5A games that we had. All three of the games we had last week that were big were all 6A versus 5A. And kind of a similar thing tonight because the big game tonight is in the Pine Belt, and that's with pedal traveling to West Jones to play the Mustangs. 6A versus 5A, two undefeated teams. West Jones, one of the best, maybe, probably top three team in 5A, whereas Pedal is kind of a sleeper in 6A. 6A is going through this weird thing this year. Teams like Brandon. Brandon's 0-2, very strange. Pearl, 0-2. You know, a lot of teams that we normally expect to kind of be there are not there this year, and Petal's kind of going under the radar as they normally do uh, so this is going to be a big game in the Pine Belt tonight as Petal takes on Wes
2: Jones. Guys, i got a name to throw at you. I got an email from uh, from Jason earlier today, and he said, I just want to bring your attention, uh, an outstanding student-athlete at Walnut High School. His name is Taj Collum II. He goes by TJ. So TJ Column in Game 1 against Alcorn Central, had three rushing touchdowns, 160 yards on the ground, and Walnut, uh, Walnut scored 41. In game two against Merle, uh, Myrtle, they won thirty nine to thirteen on seven carries, hundred sixty four yards and two touchdowns. And then I think it was last night in a rivalry game against Faulkner, five carries for a hundred seventy yards and four touchdowns in a seventy to nothing win. He has also caught passes. He's their punt returner and has an interception defensively. Wow! So in uh, in three games, if I'm doing the math. Uh, correctly and quickly, that is uh, 28 carries for 550 yards and nine touchdowns. That's not bad in, I, in terms of yards per carry. I did that in Madden once. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly.
4: Those are not Tecmo Bowl numbers. Those are Madden numbers. <laughs> Yeah, that's an incredible average per carry. Just hand it off to him, and you expect something good to that, happen. That is one of the
0: great things about smaller high school football is you have these kids that are playing not only both ways, but sometimes I mean, a lot of times they're playing on special teams. Yeah, I, I mean, you have yeah, every year you see it like with this Quez McNeil kid out of uh, Choctaw County. You have these kids that will have this incredible night, and you see these kind of weird numbers, and that's what makes the game fun. I mean, it's uh, the thing about that I've always loved about high school football is. Uh, you mentioned Forrest Gump, you, you know, life is like a box of cho- chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. That's kind of the thing with high school football is, even though a team may be favored, that does not mean whatsoever that they're going to win mm-hmm. that game. Uh, I've seen, you know, just some incredible upsets over the years, uh, and that's that's why it's so much fun. It's it's very unpredictable.
2: All right, so let's get into the slate of games tonight. Uh, games that kind of jump off the page
4: at you. gags. give me one or two uh, right out of the gate. Yeah, so another five A versus six A matchup like we were just talking about is Ridgeland and Northwest Rankin. The okay. quarterback for Ridgeland, Zy McDonald. He's got eleven touchdowns through the first two games, eight passing, three on the ground. He's a currently a Louisiana commit. He's played really well to begin the season. I believe it was in their first game, uh, Will, you told me earlier that he had a ninety nine yard touchdown pass. Yes. So this kid, I remember towards the end of last season. You know, people really started sharing his name, and you started seeing him all over the place, and that's amplified this season just by how well he's playing. Northwest Rankin got their first win of the season last week over Clinton after kind of hanging tough with Madison Central in Week 1, but I think that'll be a really strong 5A, 6A matchup. Well, we were talking about the best 6A team in the
2: country, Uh, I'm sorry, not in the country, in the state, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you thought right out of the gate that, that that was Starkville and they certainly were impressive in a win against West Point. Is there anything that has changed in your mind in terms of the class of 6A right now? No, I mean, it's
0: still kind of Starkville. It's it's those Region 2 teams right now. Uh, now, that's not to say that, that a team from outside that is happened, what happened last year. Oxford kind of snuck up, and you know they got beat by Starkville early on, and everybody kind of wrote them off, and then they end up winning the 6A state title. And we've seen that you know year after year, but I think it's still Starkville uh South Panola, Oak Grove, Madison Central, I think it is a little bit more up in the air this year. Startville is that team, but they've they've been there before and they just haven't been able to uh, to 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 make it to the state or to win the state championship game. I think their last time they won it was 2015 uh, but they've had the team every single year. They've had the teams to to, to do it. they just haven't gotten there. It's been these other six a teams. Uh, I think the Great Unknown is still the south part of the state you got Oak Grove, who's really good. Other than that, it's a big mystery. Pedal's a sleeper in there. The Coast teams are always kind of, you know, they're, they're really good until they get in the playoffs, and then they kind of fall apart. That's been the kind of the M.O. the past couple of years with the 6A teams from the Coast. Um, you know, maybe that changes this year. They say Biloxi's really good, uh, but we haven't seen – they've only played one game. We haven't seen them against uh, a whole lot of competition. Um, Gulfport's kind of the same same thing, you know, with – uh with 6A, you know, it's still Region 2 of, uh, of 6A that's the toughest region. Not that the ch- state champion is going to come out of there, but that's always the toughest region. And, you know, South Panola plays Clarksdale tonight, uh, two undefeated teams. And uh, I, I still think South Panola and Startwell. that is going to be maybe your game of the year as things stand right
2: now. Uh, certainly is going to be fun to uh, to watch that unfold uh, in terms of storyline, Stein, I know we've talked about some individual games, and, and we'll get into that coming up in, in just a couple of minutes. We're up against a break here in just a minute. But, Stephen, is there a an overriding storyline that, that you think we need to be looking at in Week 3?
4: Yeah, I think coming into tonight, you're going to look for some of those teams that maybe haven't started out that great that are looking to try to steal a win before the beginning of region play next week. So okay. there are a couple of those matchups that, that we'll look at tonight trying to get things
2: moving in the right direction we'll look at some of those matchups when we continue steven gagliano and will east joining us from studio x the high school football preview show follows us right here on super talk mississippi across the state at six o'clock and then from 10 to 11 30 it's the farm bureau insurance Company scoreboard show in its 25th year we'll take a quick time out this is sports talk mississippi hey! Back with you to wrap up the 3 o'clock hour on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's jump right back in with Stephen Gagliano and Will East. They are in Studio X. If they weren't, they'd be joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. So, Gags, you were saying a second ago some matchups where teams who have not necessarily had the best start to the year looking to get going before region play starts next week.
4: Yeah, and the big one that comes to mind with that storyline is Wayne County at Laurel. Both teams 0-2 to start the season, Both teams have actually really struggled with turnovers. We talked about it in the battle for the Little Brown Jug with Laurel and Hattiesburg. I think Laurel turned the ball over, I think it was eight times, Mm -hmm. if I'm right on that. Uh, Wayne County turned the ball over a lot in their rivalry loss last week uh, to Wes Jones. They only scored two points so on a safety, so their offense really couldn't get going. And Wayne County has started like this in the past, and then they're able to turn it on in region play. But in kind of a shortened season and a weird season like this one is, I think getting a win going into that would probably do a lot for their confidence. And then another team that we were talking during the break actually that we're not used to seeing at 0 2 is Brandon. Uh, unfortunately they take on or unfortunately for them, they take on Madison Central tonight, so picking up a win going into region play is not gonna be that easy. But there mm-hmm. are there are several teams out there that that are you know facing a tough start to the season. <clears throat> Picayune
0: and Poplarville. Poplarville is zero and two, uh, and a you know a win tonight would be you know a, a pretty big feat for them. But they do this every well. It seems like the past couple of years. Last year they went one and four to start the season. They ended up in the state championship game for four A, and they've been there three out of the last four years. So you know these teams they play really tough competition, and then when regional play kicks in, it's like they're. They're they're accustomed to playing better teams, so they they do better
2: during regional play, and that's what counts towards the playoffs. A couple of times I've mentioned preview show coming up at uh, six when we get finished tonight. What can we be looking for? I'm going to talk about some of the
0: star players, Ty Keys uh, from Taylorsville, just a kid who continues to impress. Uh, and by the way, if you look at the stat line for Taylorsville, don't get confused if you see T. Dot Keys everywhere on the field. There are three players on that team. Named, that have T keys, And so when you look at, you see receivers, you see defensive backs, you see sacks, you see quarterback, you think, good grief, this guy's everywhere, but it's actually three guys. But the quarterback, Ty Keys, uh, had seven touchdowns in a comfort-behind win last week. Uh, I think they played seminary, if I'm not mistaken. They were down by 20 at halftime. He comes back. He has seven touchdowns in that game uh, to get their first win of the season.
2: And Gag's always fun for the uh, scoreboard show presented by Farm Bureau. We'll hear from people all over the state of Mississippi re- uh, with reports from what they
4: saw in person. That is right, and we'll report to see if St. Al gets their first touchdown this yes. season. I was
1: wondering, yes! <laughs> Tough game against we're gonna get
4: uh, defending champion Riverfield, though, so not easy. We'll be, yeah. we'll
1: be, nothing worth having ever is.
2: <laughs> Guys, always enjoy it. We'll talk to you next yes, week. Sir. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Four o'clock hour is next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We hit the ground running today, and we haven't checked up yet. We're going to go right back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Don't forget, you can text the show on the Ceasefire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. It has been far too long since we have talked with Bruce Marshall. You can follow him on Twitter at bruce a marshall. He has been at the gold sheet since Moby Dick was a minnow. Bruce, what's up, my friend? Long time no talk, Rich. Nice to be back with you again. Yeah, great to be with you as well. Before we get into the football, you uh, you got anything that you're liking that's happening at the uh, the U.S. Open? Do you, do you get into the golf wagering?
6: You know, not yet. Um, uh, I was watching some yesterday, but I don't have any recommendations yet. Um, I'm thinking, though, in the NHL, uh, I might give Dallas a look at this price uh, tomorrow night. I've been very impressed by the Stars. And I'm uh, kind of missing that the Islanders are out. I was really enjoying them in that series against Tampa Bay. We could have really had a fun game seven tomorrow. But maybe uh, Dallas Stars tomorrow getting a nice price. In game one against Tampa Bay up in Edmonton.
2: There you go. We'll uh, keep an eye on that. By the way, a bloodbath today in terms of the scores at the uh, U.S. Open. We'll get into that in a little while. Bruce, let's talk some college football. I think the biggest game this weekend is the one that will be on ABC tomorrow night at 630. Uh, Miami at Louisville. Both of those teams off to uh, a pretty good start. Louisville is a a small favorite, a -a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Tell me about it. What what do what you like in this one, or is this a game that you like?
6: Yeah, we do. We kind of like Louisville here, but there's a backstory to it that's kind of interesting. It is revenge, which can be overstated sometimes by those of us who handicap these things, but maybe not in this case. Last year, Louisville played really two lousy games. One was against Kentucky at the end of the regular season. The other one was at Miami in early November. Uh, 52-27 lost that game. Just looked a step slow all day. Um, Jaron Williams, uh, Miami's quarterback, said a Canes school record with six TD passes in that game. He has since transferred out uh, to a J.C., and uh, Miami's offense fell apart uh, thereafter last year, Rich. Uh, so the new offense now, um, Manny Diaz moved uh, Dan Enos, as coordinator, out and brought in Red Lashley from SMU, where he'd been running the spread for Sonny Dykes and had been, of course, with Gus before that at uh, Auburn. So Lashley's pretty well accomplished. They're going full spread at Miami. Derrick King, the transfer quarterback from Houston, looks like he'll be a pretty good fit for it. Um, and he can run and move, but the aerial component of the new Miami spread uh, did not look too comfy last week against UAB. They ended up getting there against UAB, but this is going to be a different uh, challenge here. Uh, up in Louisville, uh, Mikhail Cunningham, the quarterback uh, for the Cardinals, was hurt and was knocked out of that game last year, as was McKay Beckton, their top, first-round pick uh, tackle to the Jets. And um, um, Scott Satterfield, 17-8 and eight against the spread uh, the past couple of years at App State in Louisville. We like to go with him. And uh, they won that game easier than the score looked against Western Kentucky last week. So we're on Louisville this week. Get some revenge. Louisville updated score forecast, 34-22. I'm not sure uh, that new Miami spread is ready to operate at full efficiency quite yet.
2: Yeah, and De'Eric King, certainly playmaker, didn't do a ton with his arm last week. I was a little surprised watching the end of that Louisville game against Western Kentucky that they had Cunningham in the game as late as they did, but they never they never really just like completely put it away to the point where you felt, okay, pull him out and get the backup in.
6: Yeah, it was kind of like the game last year. It was so similar to the Western Kentucky game last year. They jumped out quick, Cunningham was in, and then they just kind of lollygagged in the second half, um, but... I think part of that was looking forward to this week. Uh, they had that game under control, at least. And uh, Cunningham, this is a big game for him. He did come back last year after getting hurt in that Miami game and led them in the late season, led them to that bowl, went up in Nashville against Mississippi State. Uh, so, it, But this is more. I'm, not, I'm just not sure where Miami's at yet with Manny Diaz here in the second year. Right? T- in a near pick spot, I'll take Satterfield over Diaz. Didn't work last year, but I don't think lightning strikes twice for the Hurricanes.
2: So Georgia Tech has uh, an interesting young quarterback in Jeff Sims, a guy that uh, Florida State pushed out once uh, Mike Norvell got that job. They go to Tallahassee and get the win in a relatively low-scoring game, came from behind in it. Um, We we get UCF for the first time, and we know that that's a program that has been fun to watch. They've been up and down the field. UCF, seven-and-a-half-point favorite at historic Bobby Dodd Stadium in, uh, in downtown Atlanta, right there in the shadow of the varsity. Do you like UCF uh, as a touchdown plus favorite? Not as much as I like the slaw dog at the varsity and the frog Amen corner. to that.
6: <laughs> That's what I liked in Atlanta, uh, but I, not as much at Georgia Tech this week. We were on the wrong side last week. I'll admit, I needed to see some evidence from Jeff Collins. You know, he's trying to fit square pegs in the round holes last year, taking over for Paul Johnson and the option who he'd recruited that whole roster for. So there was a lot of guys switching positions last year, and it was really a mess. Collins, though, did do pretty well at Temple. So uh, the fact he's brought in Jeff Sims, who can do a lot, he you know, threw for 277 last week, he can run. Uh, so this looks like maybe they've solved their quarterback dilemma for now. But I think a lot of that last week was due to Florida State inefficiency. James Blackman's trying to learn a new offense. They've been a jumble there for a couple of years at Florida State, and Norvell's going to take some time before he puts that together. Could not be further apart from uh, UCF coming into Atlanta this week. But most of the pieces of that offense that scored better than 43 per game last year for Josh Heupel, still in the mix. Dylan Gabriel has a freshman, put up huge numbers last year. Most of his weapons are back. Much of his defense is back, including four guys in the secondary. So some ball hawks back there. If Sims makes a couple mistakes, like he did early in that game against Florida State last week, he's uh, going to get uh, burned. And uh, we know UCF has won a lot in recent years, 22 in the last two years for uh, Heupel. They're also 10-3 their last 13 against the spread against non-American teams. I'll lay the points. I think the UCF's much better than Florida State now, and I need a little bit more evidence on Georgia Tech. But it is heading in the right direction uh, for Coach Collins. 31-17, we're taking UCF uh, tomorrow at historic Grant Field at Bobby Dodd Stadium.
2: There you go. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. Bruce, let's pause just for a second and remind people where they can uh, can find your picks on a weekly basis.
6: Thanks, Rich. Check us out online at goldsheet.com. New, easier to read, online format this year. Those of us with eye problems like me can really appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, so easier to read online. And you can read my story this week, a little bit of a histo- history this week with the gold sheet. An old story I've found about Martin Olson back in 1973. I reran it this week. It's up on our website. And 5-0 and in the NFL last week. We were hot starting out in the pros. Goldsheet.com, my picks are up there. Also at Vegas Insider and com. And you can also read my stuff at Visa and Point Spread Weekly.
2: I, instead of me taking you in a particular direction, let, let's shift over to the NFL. Next week will be college heavy with the SEC starting, obviously. But what do you like this weekend in the NFL? Is there a game or, or a couple of games that really stand out to you?
6: Yeah, I mean, this is a. Uh, I, I won't lump these two together in too many parlays, uh, but uh, I think you made a case of the Lions and the Jets both this week. And rarely will you hear me putting those teams together. The Lions have perfected the art of losing close for Matt Patricia. They really have. I mean, <laughs> uh, like this game in Green Bay last year. Typical Patricia game, losing the last second to 23-22. Typical last week against the Bears. Lose that game in the final minute 27-23. I mean, it. they find ways to lose, but they're close. They've also covered six straight against Green Bay. Matthew Stafford's in there. I mean, this has the looks of a 26-24 Green Bay game. To me, you're getting almost a touchdown with the Lions. Uh, I know Green Bay looked good last week, but their M.O. last year was to win games close, and Detroit's M.O. is to lose games close. So uh, I will take the Lions' plus. And the Jets, I, I just, now they, listen, they, they're not going to have anybody booing them at the MetLife this week. So that's a plus. Nobody's in in the stands. But I think there might be something, this Super Bowl loser hangover, I mean, sometimes it kicks in, and it might be real with the 49ers here uh, you know, I think uh, they're going to have a little uh, trouble kicking it into gear. They're a focused team for everybody. It's a little bit desperate here for the Jets to get Sam Donald going. They're laying seven on the road. That looks like too much to me. So how about the Jets and the Lions? A couple of uh, unpopular underdogs, but uh, I'll give them a world this week, sure.
2: Yeah, if you had said, hey, Richard, guess which games I'm on this week? Jets and Lions probably not would not have been at the uh, the top of list the list of what I would have guessed. Um let me ask you about two games, and, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Cowboys Falcons. So Dallas with the inexplicable clock management, not kicking a field goal, maybe the victim of a bad OPI call last week. Not only do they lose, they they don't cover. Uh, Falcons. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they should be better than they are based on the talent in their roster. A couple of zero one teams in Dallas, where there will be fans in the stands.
6: Yeah, and uh, good points, Rich. And uh, you know the Falcons. Uh, you know, Dan Quinn could be in some trouble there if they don't if they start off slowly. I, he barely missed the uh, uh, getting pink slip mid season last year, and they rallied the, down the stretch. The defense was playing a lot better down the stretch. That wasn't the case last week. Uh, and Seattle got went real aggressive right from the start. And Russell Wilson was throwing the ball. They usually like to establish the run. I mean, they were throwing, and they were foot on the pedal right from the start, and I would expect Dak to do the same uh, thing on Sunday. I saw some questions about this Atlanta defense. Matt Ryan put up some huge numbers last week. He had three receivers over 100 yards, Yep. Uh, but they were playing from behind last week, so it's a little deceiving. Um, Higher scoring game, I'd rather take the points. It might be an over a better call here. 30-27 Atlanta, our score forecast. I don't love it. Uh, But not just the Dan Quinn, the GM, Tom Dimitrov. Uh, He's under the gun, too, so It's kind of important for the Falcons here, and I'm not sure Mike McCarthy's pushing the right buttons yet. That's a game the Cowboys probably could have won last week, but they didn't. And that is a familiar refrain from the Jason Garrett years, so uh, I'm not sure yet McCarthy has hit the switch to turn it around there for the Cowboys.
2: Bruce, so good to be back with you. Look forward to doing this every Friday afternoon. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend, Rich. Talk to you next Friday. That is Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. This is Sports Talk Mississippi take a breath opened up with mike leach followed it up with will and gags then bruce marshall fun way to start on this uh friday afternoon richard cross michael Borkey, and uh brian haydad i'm not sure i said this at the beginning how are you guys everything everything good
1: i'm in a really good mood right this second
2: right that did something just happen in soccer I, no, 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 that's that's Sunday.
1: Uh, I just got my all-SEC ballot. I didn't know if we were going to get to do that this year. I, I like voting on that stuff. Do you? Yeah.
2: Any uh, surprises? Uh,
1: I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so.
2: Do you gonna have K.J. Costello preseason first team all-SEC? Second team. <laughs> okay. Do you go on Kyle Trask first team? I am going Kyle
1: Trask, first team. feel like there you go. The, the safest pick.
2: Borky, you good?
3: I think so. How fabulous is it outside today? Oh, it's amazing. Feels like fall. I mean, I guess it's September, so it's supposed to, but... It's not just September. We are into the second half of the month of September. Yeah, uh, but it's Mississippi, you know? Yeah. Uh... Sometimes we get a fall that makes sense. Other times it'll be 100 degrees. Uh, So it's nice that we actually get a normal one for a little while.
2: Where would we... We would have been going into... Alabama-Georgia, I believe. This would have been week three. In in a non-COVID world, here's what the schedule would have been this weekend. Florida against South Alabama. Alabama, Alabama-Georgia. Kentucky-Kent State, Missouri-South Carolina, Tennessee-Furman, Vanderbilt-Kansas State, Auburn-Ole Miss, Arkansas-Mississippi State, LSU-Rice, Texas A&M-Colorado. It would not have been a great weekend slate, but it it would be so top-heavy that it would be spectacular.
3: Yeah, and... See, I think we're going back. I'm not going to be that guy that says we should never go back because I think we should. Um, Number one, there are programs that need those easy wins to make bowl games and make money. But also the lower-level schools need it, and I don't think people are willing to just, for lack of a better term, screw them over. But how much better is next weekend's slate than the one we were supposed to have this weekend? No Rice, no Furman. With all due respect to Southern Miss, no South Alabama. It was just so no much Kent better. State. No Kent State, and even Colorado. Just get them out of here too. And Arkansas. What? Well, I guess we still got to play Arkansas. But other than that, <laughs> Vanderbilt. You know. All that is gone. It's going to be awesome. But I Next recognize weekend, that we you, got, it.
2: you got you Florida and Arkansas. Uh, I'm sorry, Florida and Oxford. Georgia goes to Arkansas. Kentucky's at Auburn. Missouri faces Alabama. South Carolina's got Tennessee in Columbia. Vanderbilt goes to Texas A&M. Mississippi State in Baton Rouge to take on LSU. I think that's all of them. That covers it.
3: I was laughing a little bit last night. It's Quinn, so glorious. our resident LSU fan, Quinn, is not going to like this, but I spent a lot of time last night laughing. I was talking to one of my friends during most of the game. There are real people that do this for a living, not just fans. Fans think ridiculous stuff all the time. There are people that get paid to analyze sports that think that LSU is going to have playing quarterback for them this year the guy that lit up the NFL last night. They think that they're going to get the same production from that guy last night from the new guy that's starting next week. Yeah, I'm related this just to some in- of those people. Joe Burrow is really good. He's, man, and it's just his second game. No preseason, no real offseason, no real training camp. And I've been saying it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's most impressive about him, his offensive line in front of him is terrible. Yeah. I don't know if you guys could watch. I had to watch a Twitch stream last night to see the game. So I missed like the first 10 minutes or so, which I guess worked out fine. Um, his offensive line's horrendous. He is. Yeah, nobody kneeled last night, by the way. Oh, really? See, it yeah. that's it, already becoming less and less of a storyline, and the numbers are fine because it's becoming already it's less of one. Um, his offensive line's bad in front of him. He was constantly under duress, and for the NFL game being so much faster than the college game, and for uh, aside from AJ Green, look at who he's throwing the football to. It's just a bunch of dudes for NFL standards. It's A.J. Green and, like, my cousin Rodney out there catching the football for Cincinnati. Do you have a cousin, Rodney? I do. Okay. Um, And he never gets rattled. I, I mean, his ability to sit in the pocket and know that Miles Garrett is going to put one in my chin and deliver accurate footballs constantly. 60 passes he threw last night. Almost always that might actually be an issue. I I
2: don't really think the formula for Cincinnati to have success is for Joe Burrow to throw it sixty-one times. Yeah,
3: I mean, and they they got down early, so that probably skewed that a little bit because they certainly didn't ask him to do that last week. But and and look, the difference in the game, or potentially the difference in the game, it would have taken a two-point
2: conversion mixed in somewhere. Was when they had it in the what? Early ish fourth quarter, and they had it first and goal, second and goal, and had to kick a field goal. Yep. And that would have made it a one score game, probably would have kicked the extra point there to make it an eight point game.
3: Yeah. They still but, covered, uh, which is the important thing, but. That's <laughs> <laughs> all that matters. Never a doubt on that one. But. Uh, I was so I was blown away by Burrow. I mean, his eyes are always downfield, despite being under duress, uh, taking shots doesn't matter. Never rattled. That dude is just wired differently than most people, even at the quarterback position. He gets hit all night, and, and you can see it in his face. He couldn't care less. He's just got it, you know. I mean, you it he oozes confidence off the field, but on the field you see it. That is a guy that believes he's the best football player in every game he plays, and he acts like it. In his second NFL game ever.
2: The scoring drives last night for for Cincinnati, and, and obviously Cleveland won the game. And good for them; they get to one and one. Uh, Joe Burrow was better than Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I don't think there's any real doubt about that. Um, first scoring drive: fifteen plays, forty-one yards, took seven and a half minutes, and finished with a field goal. That was for the Bengals in the first quarter. They had a six-play, fifty-seven-yard drive with a touchdown pass in the second quarter. Randy Bullock kicked another field goal right before the half to make it 21-13. A 14-play, 51-yard drive at the end of the third quarter that resulted in a 27-yard field goal. That made it twenty-seven or 28-16. You take those three off the board, you go to seven for a touchdown. It's 28-20 at that point. Uh, Bengals score late fourth quarter. I mean, it was a frenetic end to the game. A 14-play, 83-yard
3: drive with a touchdown pass from Burrow to Mike Thomas. Made it 28-23. Southern Misses Mike Thomas, by the way. Shout out. Say what? Southern Misses Mike Thomas, by the way. Shout out to the Golden Eagles. Is that your cousin Rodney? That is not my cousin Rodney.
2: Uh, The most important drive of the game was what uh, Cleveland did when they got the ball back after Cincinnati made it a five-point game. The drive only lasted two minutes, but it was six plays, 75 yards, and it was the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt show. It was, we're not going to give Baker Mayfield a chance to throw another interception, which he had done on the previous drive. They marched it down, probably would have liked to have taken more time off the clock than they did, but it was enough, and that made it a 12 point game. It was 35 23. And then another big drive, 16 plays, 75 yards, three minutes and change, and another touchdown pass from Joe Burrow. That made it a five-point game. Obviously, that touchdown was inconsequential, although important to some as it went from a uh, cover for Cleveland to not a cover for Cleveland, Cincinnati uh, covering the spread in that one. It was a pretty fun game, Uh, 35-30 the final. And, you know, hey, we were talking yesterday about the fact that it was one of those Cincinnati-Cleveland. But it was
1: pretty entertaining Thursday night football. Very acceptable Thursday night game between those two teams. And, and you so, know, you'd like to see that become something. You know, Burrow versus Mayfield, two number one picks battling it out. You know, is, is that something we could have in the future? I don't know. I'm I'm really not – I'm starting to lose a lot of faith in Baker Mayfield. But, you know, we'll see where it takes us.
3: He looked really, really sharp early. And then early he did. Of, the the, but the t- then, first touchdown then, pass was outstanding. Oh, yeah. Woo. The one to OBJ, the 43 yarder. Wow. And they run the football well. I mean, that's an offensive line that got better this offseason, and Nick Chubb is a man.
2: Yeah, he's good.
1: Absolutely he's not the MVP is. Of that
3: team, but you know.
2: And 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 how about the, the contrast in running styles between Chubb and Kareem Hunt? I mean, that is a heck of a one two punch in the backfield. Heck of a one two punch. All right, we'll take a look at the U.S. Open leaderboard when we come back. A little bit different in terms of scoring conditions today. The wind has been blowing at winged foot. Got folks in long sleeves. Not many red numbers. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. For a U.S. Open venue, especially a U.S. Open venue like winged foot, scoring yesterday was outstanding. Borky, what was it at the end of the round? You had 20 players under par. 21, I believe. Okay, so you had 21 players under par. It has changed dramatically today. Let's do this in the opposite direction, though. Let's go to the bottom of the leaderboard. 144 players in the field. You had one player who withdrew uh, during his second round. That was Andrew Putnam. Um, Nice little bounce back today for Davis Riley, the Mississippi native, who is not going to make the cut. He finishes 14 over. But after shooting 79 yesterday, comes back with a 75 today, so played a little bit better on his uh, his round today. On a much but more terms... difficult
3: day, too, so it just yeah. sounds like a handful of shots, but uh, that's not the case.
2: Sergio Garcia, major champion, 14 over, will not be playing on the weekend. Graham McDowell, 15 over, will not be playing on the weekend. Jordan Spieth, who has not won since... Um, 2017 Open Championship. Currently 13 over, including 10 over on his round today, and that is through 14 holes. He is clearly not going to make the cut. Phil Mickelson was better today after shooting 79 yesterday. He shoots a 74 today, but he's not going to make the cut. Will not be around for the weekend. Uh, Grant Snedeker, Kevin Kisner, both at 12 over par. They're going to be done. Tiger Woods uh, still playing today. 7 over on his round through 13. He's 10 over for the championship. Looking like the cut line is going to be 6 over par. Andy Ogletree is going to be outside that cut line. Shot 71 yesterday. Followed it up today, though, in the more difficult conditions with a 77. He is 8 over par and will miss the cut by a couple of shots. Now, let's flip it to the top of the leaderboard. Today, there are two players... Two players, both of them in the clubhouse, under par for their round. Bryson DeChambeau, who shot 69 yesterday, shoots a 68 today. He was two under and is tied for the lead at three under par with Patrick Reed, who is on the golf course right now, one over through 14. So an opportunity for Reed to go in one direction or other. He could be the 36-hole leader or not and um, he just played really good golf. Rafa cabrera uh in the clubhouse at 2-under. Uh, Harris English still on the golf course. He's 2-under even on his round today. So the two guys that are under par, DeChambeau and Bubba Watson. Watson shot 69 today. He is 1-under on his round, 1-over for the tournament. And you've got a gazillion guys in contention if the course is going to play like it did today. The leaders are at three under. What do you say, Borky? Anybody, I mean, really anybody that makes the cut?
3: Seriously, if it's going to keep going like this, uh, I mean, people think the U.S. Open's a clown show with the way they set up the course. And I saw a couple of examples today of the greens are almost too much. But I do like the fact that if you miss the fairway, you get punished. These guys in these regular tournaments that that miss the fairway but have 180 in and can still spin their long irons out of the rough, it's just... I like the fact that if you hit it off the fairway, it's a one-stroke punishment at this point unless you get very, very lucky. I love this. Not all the time because 20 under is fun too, but... That's the difference. If you have a guy that starts hitting the ball in the fairway this weekend, with the way this course is set up and if the conditions, if it stays cold and windy, then you're right. I mean, just playing the weekend keeps you in contention as long as you keep the ball down the middle. And just watch
2: the shot from Harris English a second ago. On 18, see the green, see the clubhouse, but he's in the left rough. He took a three-quarter swing with what looked like about a seven iron and just punched it down the fairway. It's all you can do. Love that. It's just to take-your-medicine deal. Patrick Reed has made a birdie. He is back into solo first at four under for the tournament. And, again, just playing great golf. You like him or not like him, the whole Captain America thing, whatever. And I know he's got you know the allegations of cheating along the way, which makes a lot of people not like him. But he's playing great this week in, today, really tough conditions. Justin Thomas. Four over today through 13. He's one under for the tournament. Jason Kokrak, which may be a name that you don't recognize, uh, has a really good round today, shoots one over. Goes 68-71. He's one under. In terms of guys under par, DeShambeau and Reed at three, Uh, Rafa cabrera Bayo and Harris English at two, Kokrak and Justin Thomas at one. That's it. Six players under par after you had 21 under par
3: after the first round. It's great. And don't look now, but Dustin Johnson played really well today, and he's been the best player all year long. Yeah, so DJ, what, shot three over yesterday? Did he shoot even par today? Even par today. Yeah, so
2: um, 73-70 for uh, Dustin Johnson. Three over, tied for 23rd, moved 48 spots up the leaderboard today, and is currently seven shots off the lead. You know the crazy thing, Borky, when you look at the top of the leaderboard, there's nobody that you that guy's going to run away with it. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau might. But it's just as likely that he may get like a butterfly floating around in his head and all of a sudden he just blows up. Patrick Reed could not putt well and blow up. I'd love to see Harris English get a major. Justin Thomas there sitting at one under. And he's still golf to play, but so dangerous. Doesn't get rattled.
3: Yeah, he's recovered it- nicely today as well. He got off to a horrendous start. I mean, he was going viral because he's pointing. You, they have the shot tracer, and obviously mm-hmm. they don't have that on the course. So if you don't go to tournaments much, players in the, the um, ushers and stuff will point if there's an errant shot, and they develop a habit. Even though there's no fans there, The players are still pointing just because it's habit. And early in the round today, you got a picture of Justin Thomas on one hole, head down, pointing off to the left with a shot tracer, a huge hook going to the left side. And then two holes later, the exact opposite. Justin Thomas pointing to the right side with a shot tracer, a huge cut he hit uh, into the rough. And he recovered. I think, what is he... One under over his last six or something like that late in his round. So he settled in after, I think it was four bogeys or something like that early in his round. And like you said, he's steady and, I mean, still not far off the leaderboard, but rough start and he's recovered nicely.
2: Yeah, Justin Thomas went off the backside today. He was four over on the round, birdie to 18. He had a double on one and has birdied three. So he's, uh, he's hanging in there. Uh, probably not exactly what he was looking for today, but, uh, uh, sometimes you just have to deal with it and uh, and move on. So it uh, should be an interesting weekend at the uh, at the U.S. Open. Another name to watch, um, Xander Shawfley, who it seems like every time we get to a major championship over the last two or three years, he's just kind of hanging around. He's in contention. He's had a chance to win a couple of times uh, at the major level, hasn't gotten that done yet, but really good young player, and there he is again. Shoots sixty-eight yesterday. Follows it up with a seventy-two today. Uh, Matthew Wolf, after kind of going low yesterday at sixty-six, uh, shoots a seventy-four today. Uh, you're talking about a wildly talented guy. Colin Morikawa is going to be around for the weekend, but he's at the cut line at uh, at six over. So, um, hey, Dad, you really enjoyed that conversation, didn't you? I learned a lot. He was locked in. What are you doing? Like playing. Uh, tetris on your phone or something no i'm
1: just i'm just sitting here listening to you guys talk about golf
2: no i'm uh i just kind of messing with you a little bit still weird i mean we're playing the u.s open in mid-september
3: yeah and like last night uh you had the eastern conference finals game two right boston and miami and it was up against an nfl game which just it just does not happen yeah, like the golf being off on the calendar
1: isn't affecting me as much just because I I know the U.S. Open is in the summer, but it's not it's not like having like Borky said the, the NBA playoffs still going on right now.
2: Yeah, and you know you you had finally gotten into a little bit of a rhythm where you're going Masters in April, Players Championship in um, hold on, sorry. Players, The players in March, the Masters in April, the PGA in May, the U.S. Open in June, the Open Championship in July. You nailed
3: it. After the
2: reshuffle, I wouldn't have been able to do that that quickly. T- t- took me uh, just a second there. Mike in Oxford on the C Spire text line says, Here is English being in the top ten was one of the bold predictions I texted you guys a couple of days ago.
3: It's got Jeff the receipts if you scroll up.
2: There you go. Jeff wants to know if uh, yeah. we can talk about table tennis next. I'll contribute less to that discussion. Um, David and
3: Socher says, everybody plays the same course, no whining. You get it, though. You get it from some players, and you know, especially when leading up to the event, when they talk about it in such a tone, you know it's going to be a disaster for that guy. Always.
2: Get a note about Andy Ogletree. Reminds us that he's a Mississippi kid and is the U.S. Amateur Champion. Not the current one, but uh, won the U.S. Amateur last year. Had a tough run at, uh, at Bandon this year at the U.S. Open. Didn't make it to match play after winning the whole thing. Uh, continued to play at Georgia Tech, playing as an amateur, and uh, was much better today. Mentioned that a second ago than he was uh, yesterday. So pretty good improvement for him. Not going to be around for the weekend at the U.S. Open. But uh, Andy Ogletree from Union, Mississippi. Love following him. That's a fight song that you will not be hearing this weekend. Might have heard it tonight. She had Memphis and Houston originally. That's not going to be on the uh, docket. But you do have Campbell and Coastal Carolina from lovely Conway, South Carolina.
3: Suburb of Myrtle Beach. And college home of the aforementioned Dustin Johnson.
2: That is uh That's correct. Um,
3: You spend much time in Myrtle Beach growing up? Uh, not particularly. No, um, Myrtle Beach is kind of like Destin, but um, more commercial. And the beach is not it's as like good. Like Panama City, isn't it? Yeah, that' not, not Destin. Panama City. That's exactly right. And, and so it wasn't exactly a place you brought your kids. And now that I am an adult, I live very far away. So the move is now like. You know, Rosemary and places like that. So it never really a place we went all that often. I had baseball tournaments and stuff growing up there, and it's just kind of, you know, it's Myrtle Beach. Like if you ever watched Eastbound and Down, <laughs> it's that's what it is.
2: You guys looked at the forecast. It's amazing. I'm just looking at Northman. I'm, I'm looking at Oxford. I just pulled it up. So 77 and sunny tomorrow. Be nice. If we were playing uh, football. That's what it would have been for uh, Ole Miss and Auburn in an alternate universe. Probably very comparable in Starkville. 80 on Sunday, and then kind of running up through next Saturday for the opening weekend of football season. 76, 73, 74, 75, 78, 79. That ain't bad. hey dad. that's your kind of weather right there.
1: We're, we're getting closer to
2: peak Haydad weather,
1: but we're, we're
2: trending that way. Highs in the 60s is that peak, hey dad? If, or yeah, even cooler 60, than that.
1: 67 with just the hint of a breeze. I don't want too much wind because that can get cold. Yeah. And just enough where I, I walk outside, I'm like, do I need a jacket? I might need a jacket.
2: I want to think about it. 67 with a hint of a breeze means overnight lows in the 40s. Oh, now well, overnight's fine because I'm in the house, you know. Oh, that's right. I forgot you never leave the house.
1: Well, I mean, I go to Get bed that at some point. Fireplace going. And that's true. That's not a bad idea.
2: Hmm. I actually did that earlier this week. Uh, we had uh, we were cooking out, and um, I mean, it was like seventy eight. I was like, you know what? We'll just go ahead and have a fire on the back porch. So I went ahead and threw some log. It was more for the uh, the look. It certainly wasn't for the heat. But uh, no regrets. <laughs> no regrets whatsoever. In uh, in going down that road, um, Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, did an interview with Dan Patrick today. Pretty candid, and he said something in particular that stood out to me. So you remember we asked the question yesterday: you know, an undefeated Pac-12 team that plays seven games, or eight games, or six games, whatever, could they get into the playoff? And Dan Patrick actually asked. A very similar question to Larry Scott. Basically, aren't you precluding yourself from the playoff if you don't start until Halloween or later? And he said, he did not say no, but I thought he made a pretty good point. He said, you know, I'm on this call with the other Power Five commissioners, and we look around and we see games getting canceled. Nobody knows how many games they are going to actually be able to play. They know what they've got scheduled. They know what they're trying to do. They know what they're hoping for. But in a year of unknowns, I don't think we know the answer to that right now. And he might be onto to something. If the Pac-12 doesn't start playing until, let's say, November What is it, 7th, I think that's the first Saturday in, in November, And Larry Scott said they're going to need a six-week ramp-up period. It's not like the Big Ten where they've been practicing 12 hours a week even when they weren't going to play. They can't get in gyms. They haven't been able to get on fields. There's been nothing in terms of preparation. So they've got to have a full six-week ramp-up period. He says Halloween is the most optimistic time frame maybe a week or two later. But if they were to start then and end up playing six or seven games – it's not completely out of the realm of possibility to think that the Big Ten, who's only got eight games scheduled, might only end up playing seven. And if things go sideways, the SEC, who's trying to play ten, ends up playing seven or eight. And the ACC, who's trying to play eleven, and I guess that's what the uh, the Big Twelve's trying to do, although they've had multiple cancellations already, you know, ends up in the seven, eight, nine range. If that's how everybody finishes then that kind of makes the Pac-12 relevant in the conversation of
3: the playoff. Does it not? As long as they have a team. Yeah. I mean, And for reference to your point about the ramp-up, Southern Cal had their first indoor workouts today. So they put weightlifting equipment outside, like on fields, and they've had to do it very few players at a time. They got to use their weight room for the first time since COVID started today. They're way behind
2: college football fix is coming your way next at sports talk mississippi on super talk mississippi sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm hey dad i don't know how many times i have to hear that before i automatically realize that that little build up at the beginning is the lead in to states fight song (laughs) <laughs> yes you just, you just don't i mean what is that like pre-game I think, I, on the field fanfare
1: okay something like that my wife would know better former trumpet player in the famous maroon band
2: there you go there you uh you go um good to be with you sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Time right now for the college football fix.
3: This one's going to be a tough one. It's a three-year window when it was a college football song for something. you got to guess what it is. In what year? You'll know the network. Is this one that was on TBS?
2: Well, that's ESPN. ESPN. Do you remember That was when? Thursday. It was – I mean, that's – Ron Franklin's lead in music.
3: They use that on Thursday Night Football also. It was on ESPN, any college football game, from 2000 to 2003. So yeah, that's that's prime Ron Franklin
2: right there, yeah. Yeah. I think of prime Ron Franklin as like late 90s. Yeah. But I mean, he rolled right into the mid-2000s on that Saturday night primetime game on ESPN. Hmm. That was good. You had to go back in the Wayback Machine to get that.
3: That was a tough find. A lot of bad audio quality from these late 90s theme songs. Can you play it one more time? Yeah, here we go.
2: Just so I can tell you that the College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Truck month going on, and that means you can get behind the wheel of an F-150, a Super Duty, or maybe the Ford Ranger. Great savings. Test drive one this weekend at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. I'm going to pick all these games, we'll walk through some of the games that are happening this weekend. We'll make a few picks just for fun. I see uh, on this list, interestingly enough, Bruce Marshall and I are in absolute lockstep. So the games that are we're kind of looking at this weekend, Oklahoma State's a 22-and-a-half point favorite against Tulsa. Louisiana, not going to have their full complement of players. They're a 16-point favorite at Georgia State, coming off the win in Ames last weekend. Uh, Pitt is a 21-and-a-half point favorite at home against Syracuse. Baylor and Houston has been postponed. Liberty is getting 14-and-a-half points at Western Kentucky. That's interesting to me because... Western Kentucky was not bad last week against Louisville. I just kind of think a uh, Hugh Freeze offense is going to score some points, so we'll see. Tulane favored by six and a half against Navy. Duke favored by six against Boston College. Notre Dame is a 26 point favorite against South Florida. UCF, a seven and a half point road favorite in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. Louisville's a two and a half point favorite at home against Miami. Southern Miss, five-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Louisiana Tech. And NC State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Wake. There are two games on that list that jump off the page at me. And that's UCF as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at Georgia Tech. Gabriel's so good. To me, the thing that the thing that is consistently so impressive to me about UCF is their speed. In terms of speed, they're a Southeastern Conference team. They're an ACC, a high-end ACC team. They just are. C and I'm sure Mike Bianchi says that means they should be part of the SEC. Whatever,
3: but they've got speed. Sorry, I interrupted. No, C and D players from the state of Florida are still high-quality prospects. Like UCF is obviously not getting the best players in the state of Florida, but the scraps from everybody else can still really play. That yeah. state is on a – do you remember that 30 for 30? But
2: it's, they're not
3: just getting C&D players at UCF. They're recruiting better now, too. They are. Yeah, they're not they recruiting are. like Florida. It's almost as if the whole claiming a national championship thing was a promotional strategy and not because they actually thought they were national champions. It worked. Um, they just breed athletes differently down there. That 30 for 30, I don't know if you saw it about the, I don't know if it was a 30 for 30. It was more one of those E60 features on that high school that has, like the the team's favorite hobby is to go chasing rabbits in the fields. And that's why their football team has just nothing but fast, quick guys because they spend their free time trying to catch rabbits, jack rabbits in Florida. And so their entire football team every year is just churning out studs because these dudes, instead of playing Fortnite on Xbox when they get done with practice, they go hunt rabbits. Catch them with their bare hands. <laughs> I guess that makes you fast. Well, what's, it was uh, one of those popular schools. I think St. Thomas Aquinas, maybe. Okay. One of those football factories down there. But that was what they attributed to being so good at football. Was their kids do that for fun.
2: I like UCF at Georgia Tech, and I really like Louisville at home against Miami. Louisville is just a two and a half point favorite.
1: Those like are the two that jump out
2: to me. I Say like what? One more.
1: I like one more. Okay. I like Tulane giving up six and a half to Navy. I just I, why? Did are they practicing for real yet at Navy? Are they allowing them to actually have contact? If not, Tulane's going to run right through them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I, I was laughing, like, in my head when I was like, well, you know, they always say you make your biggest improvement between week one and week two. Maybe he's got a lot of improving they need to do. A ton, yeah. Do we think that Tulane is equipped to stop the triple option?
1: I man, I think Tulane's going to have... Better athletes than the Navy, so I mean,
2: Willie Fritz should be able to develop a game plan in yeah, he, con, conjunction with his defensive coordinator to stop the triple option. Given that
1: yeah, that's what he used think, to do, yeah. you would think, yeah.
2: Teaching Borky, it's anything a bit you like on this
3: list than in practice, though, that's why Navy's had such success over the years. You can be prepared for it all day long, but if you blow an assignment, that's it. I mean, that's why it's so hard to stop. You have to be it, almost. Overly disciplined, and I mean, you, anyway, that's just you can be prepared for it all day long. But I, I kind of like Navy here. Do you really? I think I do. Okay, even though uh, I, I guess somebody better alert the mayor down there to let let her know that they're playing that game. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I think Miami Louisville is really compelling. Uh, this feels like a sucker line to me. I don't know what's up because I, I would think that Louisville would be more of like a touchdown favorite in, in this game. I know Miami won their season opener and stuff like that. but I would still like Louisville as a touchdown favorite.
2: I, I get what you're saying about a sucker line. It kind of feels that way. But I still think I'd like Louisville favored by seven.
1: I know we're fixing to talk to Luke, but how do we feel about USM? I was about to exact uh, ask that exact question. It feels like it's going to go one of two ways to me. Either they're going to rally behind Scotty Walden and he's going to come out a house of fire and they're going to do some things differently that Louisiana Tech wasn't prepared for and they're going to just roll them right off the field or they're going to get blown out. I don't feel like it's this is going to be a close game either way. So it's just who do you think is going to win and then take the line accordingly?
2: I think I'm jumping on the Scotty Walden train. I think I'm with yeah. you. I don't have a problem with that.
3: Don't forget Louisiana Tech had more adversity, if you can believe it, than Southern Miss has over the last couple of weeks. Southern Miss fired their coach and are dealing with less than Louisiana Tech has recently.
2: Was it thirty-eight players? Thirty-eight players.
3: Yeah. And I don't know that they're gonna have everybody back. It's possibly not, but even if they're all back, that's two weeks without practice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I lean in the direction of, of Southern Miss on that game. I really do. The um, The ACC schedule this week is it's okay, I guess. You're kind of in that spot right now where you've got some teams that are playing that one non-conference game. Syracuse-Pittsburgh, Boston College-Duke. Notre Dame's a 24-and-a-half point favorite. That line has actually gone down a little bit at home against South Florida. UCF Georgia Tech, we mentioned, the Citadels at Clemson, Wake Forest, NC State, Charlotte, and UNC was canceled. So Will Healy's team not going to get the chance to go to Chapel Hill and try and pull off an upset. Pahokee High School, not St. Thomas, who chases the rabbits. Pahokee, that's right. That's right. Good call. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout. Be back with you, Luke Johnson. Going to join us in about twenty minutes. Borky, <laughs> ready for a random nugget? Let's hear it. Our listeners never, ever, ever disappoint. Got this message from uh, from a buddy: Pahokee versus Glades Central, the Muck Bowl. That game has produced nearly two dozen NFL players.
3: How about that? I'm telling you it's a lot of talent coming and, out of a out of that game and they they it was the coolest story you could, I actually googled it. you can watch the uh, the mini documentary that ESPN did about it but I mean I, you've seen a wild rabbit in your life, I'm sure and you've seen how fast that is. Imagine mm-hmm. chasing that thing down and catching it with your bare hands.
1: That's something. I wonder what the Mississippi equivalent of this game is. What's the Mississippi high school rivalry that's produced the most NFL talent?
3: Well, I thought you were asking what kind of animal catching would turn you <laughs> into a good football player. I was going to say Oki Newblin Catch some gators <laughs> or something. That's how we there. get our yeah. defensive linemen. They're wrestling 100-pound catfish up out of holes.
2: Hmm. <laughs> What Mississippi rivalry game has produced the most NFL players is the question on the board from Hayden. It's
1: gotta it's gotta involve South Panola, right? You would think. You would think. But I mean, other than, you know, Shea Townsend, Dwayne Rudd, has Panola put a lot of guys in the league, I guess the Jerry brothers, yeah. <sighs> Who would their rival be? Starkville? No? I don't know.
2: Good question, though. Maybe, I'm this. Uh, again, listeners rarely disappoint. Clarksdale South Panola was a big rivalry for a while. Yeah. I'm not sure how many NFL guys you had out of Clarksdale. Um, Mario Hagen. Yeah. Terrence Metcalf. Yeah. Maybe others that I'm not thinking of. Um, you might could get to ten in uh, NFL guys out of those two teams.
1: You would think so, yeah. That's a good. That's an interesting question. I don't know.
2: Madison Central has had some NFL guys. Yeah, Steven Gostkowski is one of them.
1: Yeah, Chris Spencer.
2: Um That's a really Oh yeah, we may have to do a little more digging on that, a little more thinking a little on research, that. Research, yeah. Yeah. JT so,
1: Gray from Clarksdale, that's a good call.
2: Yeah, special teams are player for the Saints now. That's that's nice it's a nice call. Um. That'll hmm. be one to think on for a little while. Yeah. Well, it I is idea. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at uh, at Supertalk.fm. Luke Johnson will join us uh, at five thirty seven. We'll talk a little bit more about Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech. That game coming your way tomorrow night. Or is it tomorrow? I think it's tomorrow afternoon. Grady says, Don't forget Ray Perkins came from pedal.
1: Well, Javon Patterson is in the league right now. There's two
2: yeah. pedal. Yep. I mean, would there be a pedal oak grove? Possibly.
1: Who from Oak Grove is there? I, I yeah, don't know. I don't know. No. This feels like my, keep... this was like I might do my might spend my weekend doing this. I don't know. Okay.
2: 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. If you want to uh, want to jump in, you can do so. So I suggested Pascagoula Moss Point.
1: I thought about Pascagoula because you know they had that they had some great teams in the eighties and nineties. You know, Shane Matthews was there with Terrell Buckley. hmm But who would Moss who who is Moss Point got? Like off the top of my head, I can't I don't know any NFL players from Moss Point. Kevin Fant? No. No. <laughs> He's a coach now. He's down there. I, I forget where uh, yeah. he's coaching.
2: He is. Um, that's one of the greatest high school football games I've ever watched, the uh, Moss Point-South Panola game. South Panola? That's a hell of a game, yeah. yeah. When, uh, when Kevin Famps was playing quarterback for, uh, mm-hmm. for Moss Point at the With, time. Mer- Meridian is another name that keeps like, because they just were so dominant for so long. But yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Meridian Starkville, maybe? I don't,
1: I have to look. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some research. Yeah.
2: Um. So some other stuff going on. We mentioned yesterday that Cade Mays at Tennessee won his appeal from the NCAA. And unless it has happened today and I've missed it, the only thing we're waiting on now is Greg Sankey to rule him eligible in league play.
3: Have a hard it, time seeing him doing that, right? What, making him eligible or not making him eligible? Stopping him from playing this Oh, no,
2: yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that'll happen. The Otis Reese question is still out there for Ole Miss, the transfer from Georgia, and to the best of my knowledge, no answer has come from the NCAA. I'm just curious if this throws a wrinkle in things. Now that the Big Ten is back saying, yeah, we're going to play, and you've got some guys who have opted out, who are now opting back in, notably at Ohio State. with What was the, the, the player at Ohio State's name? Sean Wade and Wyatt Shawn, are both going back in. Yeah. But how much sorting through and sorting out does the NCAA have to do about what those guys may or may not have done in terms of contact with agents or any extra benefits after opting out but now coming back around? Is that going to be cursory? Are they even going to give it a look?
3: I think is that's... it an NCAA issue at all? According to their rules, yes. Will they make it one? I doubt it. I, I have a feeling it's the second thing you said. I think they're not really going to do much looking. That the the teams apparently ha- have done some self investigating, but it's not that they did anything wrong. The player left and started talking with agents because he thought he wasn't going to play. But the team has looked into it. Because the Big Ten told him he wasn't going to play. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Not his fault.
3: Um, So I don't think the NCAA will do anything about it, and I don't think they should because, like you guys just said, they were told they weren't playing. And so if they went and talked to an agent and then suddenly the league reverses course, they should be allowed to come back and play. As long as they promise, which we all know they're not going to, to not have contact with their agent until the season's over—that's all it would take for me—is promise me you're not going to talk to him anymore, and and we'll let you back in. It's a broken or a a stupid promise, but they've got to enforce their rules at least on the surface. Got a
2: message that Robert Kyatt played at Moss Point and oh, went on to play in the NFL as well. Yeah, got this announcement from the SEC today. The roster requirements for playing games. And then when a game could be postponed or declared a no contest. And the the requirements are very, very similar to what the Big 12 is going with. SEC teams will need to have at least 53 scholarship players. And I think that is important. It's not total roster, it's scholarship players available. So, 53 scholarship players available, including a quarterback, seven offensive linemen, and four defensive linemen. Four a team is a that low number for defensive yeah, linemen. A team that cannot meet those requirements can choose to play anyway. Otherwise, its game will either be rescheduled or declared a no contest. The minimum thresholds for the SEC mirror those announced by the Big 12, but there is one major difference. The Big 12's 53-player minimum includes walk-on players, while the SEC guidelines only include scholarship athletes. Teams are capped at 85 scholarship players. But again, that number matters because not everybody's got 85 scholarship guys right now. What is it, Missouri, who's had a number of opt-outs and a couple of transfer portal things. Is Missouri who I'm thinking about?
3: I haven't seen as much of them as Vanderbilt, for example. Vanderbilt's down a lot of guys with portal and opt-outs. Double digits, for sure.
2: It's almost impossible to keep up with what LSU's roster is right now. Because they've had guys opt-out, they've had guys come back in. Hey, Dad, there's another research project for you this week. <laughs> hmm. Who is LSU going to actually have available next week in terms of the roster when they play Mississippi State next Saturday yeah. afternoon?
1: Yeah. Last I looked, they have like 68 r- roster players. So,
2: And if it's 68 scholarship players and the minimum threshold is 53, that's not just a whole lot of wiggle room. Yeah. Um, schools can request to have a game rescheduled if they determine that there are compelling reasons why it cannot begin a contest even if they have the 53 available scholarship players uh, that are unrelated to player minimums final decision on a postponing or declaring a no contest belongs to Greg Sankey Luke Johnson's next on the Farm Bureau phone line Google is letting me down I'm trying to figure out if Tony Bennett actually played at Clarksdale he was from alligator Mississippi remember Tony Gator Bennett one of the oh, yeah. coolest posters of all time
1: so we got a we actually got a, a, a somebody sent us a link from the 662 that has all of the high schools listed that have had players so based on what we're saying you're, you were correct Clarksdale and South Panola 25 players total 25 yeah 17 from
2: Clarksdale you, you, is it, you got names or just the list?
1: Yeah, i got the names. Uh, Moss Point has the most all-time in 18. Uh, JT Gray, hmm. Elton Jenkins, Trumaine McBride, Mario Hagan, Charles Mitchell, LaMarcus Hicks, Terrence Metcalf, Clifton Ely, Eddie Cole, Billy Howard, Lou Porter, Bobby Franklin,
2: Charlie Connerly was from Clarksdale. Of course. Uh, oh, Richard, come on now. I should remember Ar- that.
1: Aubrey Roselle, two big MSU legends here, Harper Davis and Art Davis, and then Lake Roberson.
2: There you go. There it is. So combined
1: twenty five. South from the only question South is, Panola. would South Panola have been playing? Was there South Panola High School when those a lot of those guys were playing? I don't know, but that, that's right now the best matchup.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke, getting ready for a ball game tomorrow in Hattiesburg, where Southern Miss is a favorite. First game of the Scotty Walden era. That's that's kind of cool.
7: Yeah, it's been a crazy two weeks. Uh, it seems like the South Alabama game so far in in the rearview mirror, but it's not. I mean, the Eagles have a lot of things to correct as they get ready for tomorrow night. Against Louisiana Tech, and uh, just, I think I told you this Tuesday, just meant a whole lot more energy, uh, upbeat. And Scotty Walden said that he wasn't going to change the way that he coaches. Anybody that's ever been to a Southern Miss game on the sideline, you see a shorter, blonde-headed dude jumping up and down. Uh, that's Scotty Walden. And uh, even at practice on this week, running around, slapping people in the helmet, he's not typically what you might see in a in a typical head coach. But he's he's been pretty adamant he's not going to change who he is or or uh, you know his approach, even sliding into a interim head coaching
2: role. And isn't that what you want? I mean, you just want a guy to be themselves.
7: Yeah, you don't, you don't like it when when guys get to a level and they try to reinvent, or they try to be all stoic, or they you know, if you're stoic before be stoic. But players, you know, this generation, man, every generation, especially this generation, man, they can smell plastic three miles away. And that was one of the things that I loved under Jeff Bauer. You know, he never he never changed who he was. He was the same. And, and that's what I think Scotty Walden, it's, of course, he's only 30 years old, boundless energy. And I think if he were to try to change and, and be far more, you know, reserved or above it all than what he was, I don't think people would buy into it. And I think a lot of the buy-in going with Scotty is because he's being who he was as a wide receiver coach and a co-offensive coordinator. And, who you know, honestly, who he recruited – these kids, these kids know who recruited them, and I think that's giving him a lot of street cred with the players right now that he hasn't changed.
2: What's Southern Miss going to look like offensively tomorrow?
7: You know, Matt Kulitz still still calling the plays, and and uh, I think it will be more of a up-tempo. If anything, I mean, you can't, you can't rehaul an offense in a bye week. Um, the kind of the question I've been asking some people today, you know, over-under, does Jack Abraham throw – You know, uh, eleven or more, or I guess the line would be at eleven. Up, over, under. Does he throw eleven passes in the first quarter? They get two drives. Um, I I do think that with it's going to be unique though because we're we're talking conditioning. I just wonder if Southern Miss may come out and try to boat race a little bit up tempo and try to get Louisiana Tech windy because if you've got several starters that you know honestly have not been conditioning or not in. So-called plane shaped like they could be because of a quarantine, and you kind of want to press them in the first half and then grind on them a little in the second half. Uh, Louisiana Tech, it is pretty well known that their secondary lost a lot, lost a whole lot on defense. Only two returning starters, and secondary is a little suspect. I know maybe somebody's calling me a hypocrite saying a secondary suspect after watching Southern Miss against South Alabama, but hmm. uh, the, the secondary is a weakness, and I expect them to to try to take some vertical shots and. And then maybe in the second half, try maybe to run it a little more once they get the Bulldogs winded some.
2: Are you surprised at all that Southern Miss is a favorite in this game? And, and not just like a, like a one point, but a five and a half?
7: I think it goes back to what we saw with, with BYU Navy and some of the early games. The teams that have a game of experience under their belt in a COVID era uh, is, a lot, is valued a lot more than in a non-COVID time. Um, for the specific reasons like tackling, for the specific reasons like conditioning, and I think that goes more into the five and a half point uh, favorite than than anything else. I mean, what else are you going to you know go off of? We to with ten wins last year and beat Southern Miss by fifteen points last year. What else are you going to go off of? That's the only thing I can think of.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me as well. And what was it? Thirty-eight players that were out for quarantine? I mean, we're talking, what, minimum 10, but 10 to 14 days. And, you know, maybe they were able to work out some, but they certainly weren't practicing with the team. That's got to have an effect, Luke.
7: On top of that, they had 8 to 10 injured players. So Skip Holden Hmm. made the comment last week, he only had 47 players available to practice. And so a great majority, and, I mean, we talked to uh, Malcolm Butler from Louisiana Tech Tuesday on the Eagle Hour, and, you know, He wasn't going to tell us who's available, who's not, but it sure seemed like in the tone in which he was sharing, not everybody's going to be available. So you look at a defense that lost 9 of 11. You look at an offense that lost three out of the uh, five starting offensive linemen. You lose your quarterback. I mean, they get the running back back, but it just seems like they're going to be missing uh, some starters um, at least. And, you know, the Eagles, Eagles have to take advantage of that. And I guess it boils down to this. I know it's been in transition at Southern Miss, but you've got to win this game. I mean, you got to win this game to believe in yourself. But, man, uh, what, a third of their roster has been out for COVID? I mean, you you got to gotta make sure you take care of this one. It would be really bad if they lost it.
2: Hey, Luke, switching gears for a second, this is something that we've talked about with you in the past. Um, there appears to be a little bit of good news with regard to Corky Palmer, the longtime former uh, baseball coach at Southern Miss, uh, most recent info I've gotten is that he continues to improve a little bit every day. Uh, you know, he had the the stroke, has been able to talk some. He is in a uh, a specialty rehab hospital uh, setting in Jackson. They've been able to get him up in a chair, and the improvements are, are slow, but they are steady. And I know for a bunch of Southern Miss fans, that sure is good news to hear.
7: It sure is, and, and that's really what I've heard. Um, Coach Barry and others have been keeping us updated. And yeah, for a, you know a couple of weeks or so, man, it, it looked tough. Um, his brother Chad uh, had expressed some concern uh, to to several of us, and you know, Coach Barry just kept putting out the word about two weeks ago. We need to pray. We need to pray. So yeah, the very fact that he's in that specialty place, the very fact he was able to sit up and start acknowledging, um, I, I did think somebody asked him what a one was, and he, he said it was a fastball and two was a curve. So you know, you know, course improving huh. when he knows that for sure. It's a pitching coach.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no uh, no question about that. Where are you tonight? I hear some high school football action in the background, I think.
7: I'm at the alma mater. I'm on the field. I'm actually in the uh, the west end zone at West Jones right now. We've got the call for West Jones pedals, so a lot of memories on this field. Um, it's going to be a good game. Both both teams 2-0, and pedals average 33 points a game. West Jones has given up an average of four points a game, so something's got to bend tonight. But, we yeah, we're in so-so.
3: They retired tying in jersey yet? Say that again? They retire your jersey yet?
7: <coughs> Working on that, Borky. I'll invite you whenever it happens in the year 2057.
2: If I'm still <laughs> around by then. Wes Jones was pretty good in a uh, in a rivalry game last week, weren't they?
7: Yeah, we called it. We were over in Waynesboro, 18-2. to It was pretty ugly. Um, <laughs> Wes Jones turned the ball over a lot, but they got a safety and uh, just the West Jones defense really stifled them. Cecil Hicks used to be at Laurel. He's the D.C. Here now under Scott Pearson. And, you know, you, West Jones, man, this is where I play. I play for Coach Taylor, Mike Taylor. He was here 27 years. Scott Pearson, I believe in his 19th year. So, you know, you've got close to 45 years of coaching experience, so only two coaches. So uh, it's been a place of stability and man, just a lot of memories out in here walking through the grass and Pretty interesting tonight. Offensive coordinator for Wes Jones, Bud Blackledge, is going against his son Jay Blackledge, who's a wide receiver coach at uh at Pedal. So Marcus Boyle is coach at Pedal. So many disciples across Mississippi High School football. So yep. yeah, they'll be they'll be in twenty five capacity tonight, maybe twenty seven percent capacity, Richard.
2: Yeah. We, we won't uh, we won't ask the fire marshal for a uh, for a uh, an audit when this one's uh, all said and done um will was telling us earlier will and and gags we were talking to them um, to kind of preview the high school night pedal's been a little bit of a surprise so far this year
7: yeah they they got a quarterback jackson allen he throws it around pretty good um they got a few good receivers and that's been what they've really been leaning on and probably for them to be a little more in the short game tonight but west jones not a deep defense but man they fly they're tough up front and uh, Alan Fowler threw 40 passes last week. and don't know if Wes Jones is going to air it out that much tonight, but it should be a good game nonetheless.
2: Well, hope you have a big time. I, I don't know what it's like where you are in South Mississippi and North Mississippi. By the time the high school football is over tonight, you might need a long sleeve or a jacket. So uh, hopefully you're getting a little dose of that as well.
7: Yeah, free and wind. It feels good here,
2: guys. Appreciate Enjoy you it. Enjoy it. a great weekend. Thanks, Luke. <laughs>